I don't have a standard way of starting anything. Yeah, what is what is your Hey guys, welcome to It's time to talk to another YouTuber. This time it's Sarah Dici. I am so honored to be on the show. First, tell me what you do. Tell everybody what you do in case they don't know. So I am a YouTuber, but beyond that, first I was just a video maker, a filmmaker, whatever you want to call it, a content creator. I started out doing silly rap music videos for school projects. And then I started to get into travel. So I made kind of travel film type things and posted everything to YouTube. Mm -hmm. And then when push came to shove, I kind of dropped out of cut, not kind of, I dropped out of college. (laughs) I was done with electrical engineering. (laughs) Dropped out to pursue YouTube. Mm -hmm. Um, And so at the time that you dropped out was it, like a secure thing like were no you, you no know? so i've always kind of been into tech and creativity and that's kind of where my channel has been based in and i add vlogging things to it um, but at the time when i dropped out i dropped out with three thousand subscribers and was like i'm gonna make youtube my thing <laughs> but with that i didn't there was this opportunity called the Adobe Creative Residency that I learned about a few months earlier. And for some reason, I was like, I'm going to get this thing and I'm going to make YouTube full time. And so I dropped out of college. I was doing boring corporate videos, like talking head interview mm. videos for a long time or for a few months to pay rent in Nashville where I was living. Um, and then I made a viral video and I got the Adobe Creative Residency. And that's where Adobe pays for your passion projects for an entire year. And so I had the platform, I had the funding and I was like, oh, okay, this happened. This is cool. But at the time, like 3000 subscribers and just on a whim, I'm like, I'm going to get this residency thing. Nothing was guaranteed, really. Well, did you at all consider just producing film kind of freelance or like, was that the the backup? Because, you know, it's two very different things to pursue general filmmaking versus like, I'm going to build my own brand and make people aware of who I am. And, you know, um, was that about, or do you still consider that a thing? Like, would you make other, do, do you want to make movies? Do you want to make so other people's music videos, I commercials? I am very aware that I do, I never want to make like long form movies and I do not like scripted content. So Throughout the time, even when I was in college, I think what gave me the credibility as a person behind the camera who can actually make good stuff was I did some um, like documentary series where I highlighted other creators, started a series called Creative Spaces TV, where it's basically MTV Cribs with substance. So I, I go into I saw a few of those. Those are really great. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. And so that was kind of proof that I could make stuff like that. And I love document- documenting the creative process. It's one of my all-time favorite things. And so that is kind of as fancy as I'm going to get in terms (laughs) of like, like I love documentary stuff. I love finding the story in the edit. So that's what I'm really passionate about. But I've always been very aware that I'm never going to make proper movies. I don't, I'm not a big fan of scripted stuff. I love like raw and real. Um, So, so yeah. That's like... So why I get excited talking to you is I think that a lot of people want to be where you are right now, you know, and like, one thing I think about a lot is that I'm often giving advice on how to produce stuff like this and like talking about how to get into this world. And I also know that it's exciting. Like I've kind of been living the life of doing social media as a job for quite a few years now. 
and it's great. Like I really like it. But if there's this balance that you can't, you can't have the whole world all suddenly become influencers or yeah. like social media people. Well, something, yeah. Like it's just this weird thing of like, I'm living it, but when I'm giving people advice, I still want to slightly hold back mm-hmm. and be like, let me say this when, so I was very ambitious, but I lived very much so in reality. Mm-hmm. So when I dropped out, there was risk involved. Yes. Um, but at the same time, I was just weighing my options with college. I, you know, I worked hard in high school. I was a math science geek. So I had a scholarship up until the point of like three and a half years. And this is when I was thinking about pursuing video and dropping out. And during that time, I had ran out of scholarship money and I hated computer science and electrical engineering. Mm -hmm. And so I kind of just weighed the things. I was going to a private school in Nashville, Tennessee. I ran out of scholarship money. So I was going to have to go into debt for something that I hated and it was me living plan B at the age of 21. Or take a little risk, like live life off of PB&J sandwiches, work those boring corporate gigs. Like I had linked up with a production company and was basically like, I'm your video girl. I will do these boring corporate edits for you as long as I need to, you know, until I hit that next step. So I was working my butt off behind the scenes with stuff that wasn't YouTube. You know, YouTube was that side hustle. It was that 9 p.m. to 2 a.m. thing that I was so passionate about. But at the same time, I was very aware in my head of what I was going to have to do. Like the fact that I got the residency, made a viral video at the same time, like that was just like the world's colliding perfect. Um, But in my head, you know, I was like, if I have to do these boring, terrible corporate edits for five years in order for YouTube to be my job at the end of five years, that's what I'm going to do. Yeah. You know, and well, that's, that's yeah. actually not that much that's compared to what some people go through to be the kind of filmmaker they want to be. Traditionally, it could take 30 years. You know, it, it could take a lifetime to become true. like a director yeah. that is uh, doing the kind of work they'd like to. But now we're in this place where you can kind of be self-directed with it and, and, and do what you want. So people come to you and they're like, I want to be where you are. And totally. what do you tell them when they say that? I say first, it's the most, it's probably so generic, but the first thing that I always say is your aspiration cannot be to be a YouTube vlogger. Mm -hmm. Like YouTube is just a means of telling stories. And so you have to figure out what you're passionate about. Like what is that one thing that you cannot live without, whether it's skateboarding, whether it's wedding films, you know, you have to like knitting, maybe you want to create a vlogger on knitting, but you can't just YouTube to YouTube. Like, that is boring. I think a really common issue, and same thing happens with photography. Like, people that want to get into photography is that your content, like, con- yeah, we, we call it content, mm-hmm. but, like, it's only as interesting as what you end up doing, mm-hmm. right? If you, if you live a relatively boring life, unfortunately, what people watch won't be super interesting mm-hmm. unless you make it so like you really have to like pull people in and put the mm-hmm. effort into like having a story to tell. And so I, I, I think about that when I'm doing even technology stuff, it's like, how can I turn a review into a story mm-hmm. or how can I turn my rant about something that should be boring? Technically it is pretty boring, but give it a bit of a beginning, middle and end, give yeah. it a little bit of, of, of drama. And I think that, I don't know, that can be something that takes a little time to yeah. Kind of, kind of figure out, and it you know? depends what you want to do and the landscape of YouTube. And when I first found a pretty sizable audience at like a hundred k subscribers, 
everything was telling me vlogs, vlogs, vlogs. That's what is it? You have to put quantity over quality. But in hindsight, that is not what got me attention to begin with. It was quality over quantity. And I got sucked into this YouTube vortex and I started posting five videos a week, killing myself. It so wasn't me. But what did you find that it was worth it in retrospect, even if you so couldn't keep what it up? I, what I did learn was that it put me in front of the camera more and it made me understand the value of adding personality into videos. So now when I'm interviewing a cool creative entrepreneurial person or I'm doing a tech review or something, I bring in vlogging elements to that to make it relatable, to make it fun. Because there's so many people out there, um, you know, this is something you can talk to as well, where the tech reviews are in one place, it's one shot, you know. And there's also the complete opposite end of it where you have MKBHD, Marquez Brownlee, who's so talented and like has the most gorgeous shots. And it's like you're watching a movie about an iPhone. You're like, what? You know? And so I kind of found my jam in between that where it's like there's personality, people you know, I want people to like live life with me. I think that's super fun, but I don't have to do it to the degree of I'm killing myself posting five videos a week. And the thing that I had to have self-awareness about and figure out was I find joy in like going out, like thinking of a story, finding a story, going out, shooting it and being very intentional with it. When I was vlogging, Every morning I'd pick up the camera and I would just wait for something to hit me in the face because it, it was everything. It was so, I was so busy that I had, it was weird. I had no purpose. I didn't have time to think about a purpose of the video. Right. Well, that's part of why I've avoided just straight up vlogs mm-hmm. is I'm like, sometimes when I've recorded like that, I'm like, this is, this is boring. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm not really doing, yeah. I, I don't have, I didn't consider it. I don't have a point mm-hmm. to what I'm doing exactly. Like I've just run into what you're talking about. So, yeah, I, I actually think of like a lot of the same things of trying to tell your own story and bring yourself into whatever it is you're talking about. I, I started thinking differently about this as well, looking at uh, CGP Gray, who on his podcast talks about he releases a video like every month or less, hmm. but he needs everyone to explode or his job as a YouTuber doesn't work out. And I'm look, always looking at this like balance in between of it can get really risky. Like for me, I spent uh, like a month on my iPhone 10 video, um, which is like pretty long time for one video. I put a lot of time into it and then it did a lot less than other videos that had taken a lot less time. And I still can't quite find that thing of like, when is it, when do you cut your losses and just say, okay, I'm just releasing it. Yeah. You have to find that middle ground. Cause you have to also be conscious of the platform that you are, mm-hmm. you are on, you are not, shooting the freaking Avengers, you're shooting an iPhone review, (laughs) you know? And so you have to be okay with that, the quantity of it. And for a person outside, two videos a week, one video a week might sound insane, but, you know, for me, it's like a breath of fresh air that I'm not posting five videos a week again. So it's like, Although you're also podcasting, you did did add that to your schedule. But the reason why I was able to add my podcast, the creative exchange to the, you know, thing is because I wasn't vlogging all the time. So I had time to do it. Right, and right. I think that's to important too. And, you you know. need time to explore new things and, uh, cause things can get boring and mundane. So you got to be able to have space in your brain to branch out. So what is your release schedule now? 
So and, and, I try and also to. How long is each video? Like yeah. kind of time wise. So each video of mine is like ten to fifteen minutes. Um, I try to release two a week, like Tuesdays and Thursdays, and then I release a podcast every single Monday. So the podcast has actually been something that I have been the most consistent with, like ever. I like release every Monday one because I've been it's the a same way. Yeah. It's a once a week thing, and it's possible. So I think it's important to start small you know, Mm -hmm. and like really execute on it and figure out how to just be consistent with it and then kind of move on to the next thing. Well, I was saying that uh, a lot of the reason I got excited about your channel was when you started the podcast. Like I I knew about you, but when I saw your podcasting, I'm like, yes, somebody like another YouTuber podcasting, because I think we should all be podcasting. Well, not not necessarily, Um, which actually presents like a funny issue because you have less time to follow as many podcasts as you do say YouTubers, right? When people are putting out two 10 minute videos a week it's a lot easier to keep up with that than an hour, an hour you know, yeah. so but but at the same time it, it lets you deepen those relationships with the people that you relate to the most uh you can get to know them in a way that is is hard in shorter more tightly edited videos or even that like the editing like right now uh the the fact that i'm pausing and stuttering that would usually get edited out right it gets, it's like kind of my more real speech than you'll ever see in yeah. the thing. So I, I like that about it. It's something that the most creative thing about podcasts is what you're saying. So I have no moral, um, like I, I don't get upset about handing off the edit to someone else. So I have a video element to my podcast. And so that was scary to me because I'm like, I don't want to sit and edit an hour long podcast, but I'm like, this doesn't matter. People aren't judging on editing yeah. skills on a podcast. So now I've hired someone to just edit my audio and video to the podcast. And so I think in like talking about that, it's really important as well to figure out what is important to you in terms of like creativity. So it's really important to me when I have those special videos that are very near and dear to my heart that like I am every part of the process. I'm filming, I'm editing, I'm, you know, doing everything about it. But in terms of the podcast, that's something that's me express, expressing my creativity, but it's not as much of a time commitment. Right. So that was something that got me excited because it's a way of expanding, but it doesn't require as much time. So so what got you into the podcast in the first place? Like, how did you decide you're going to jump into it? By I, the way, first yeah. episode, Gary Vaynerchuk. Gary that was Vaynerchuk, so great. yeah. Um, so I think just consuming it had a really big part of it. I saw, you know, I am a big fan of Gary Vaynerchuk. And so I'm very closely always watching what he's doing and watching what everyone else around him is doing. And starting out, I was like, okay, I'll just, I'll try this thing. There was a cool app called Anchor where you can do like short snippets of audio. Um, and I did that. I did like a, a 20 minute daily show, like every single day. Um, I'm, I'm really interested to see where anchor goes. Like I'm not yeah. doing it regularly, yeah. but it's a great idea. I yeah. Like it. Yeah. We'll, we'll see. Um, but I started to think, oh, this isn't how I consume podcasts. So why am I creating it this way? And all of the podcasts I would listen to are like Tim Ferriss and Gimlet Media and all of that stuff. And um, Gimlet, not so much, but Tim Ferriss, his podcasts are like an hour, sometimes two hours long. And I was like, 
the, this is the type of stuff that I want to do. I want to sit down with the people who I admire in the creative and entrepreneurial worlds and pick their brain for an hour. Like, ugh, pick their brain. That's like such a gross <laughs> sentence just because like all yeah, of our yeah. email inboxes are like, hey, can we have a coffee of pick your coffee brain? And pick a brain? Yeah. It's a very real way to add value to the other person, um, but to have a real conversation. And yeah. that's the exciting part is that the actual conversation, like why I got excited about doing it. I didn't really intend on my show being a guest show, but I realized pretty quickly, I'm like, this is a great excuse for me to ask people I'm excited by. It's such a self. All the questions thing, you right? always want to know. Yeah. yeah Cause I'm like, yeah. I get to sit. Okay. Even if it's 20 minutes, I still get to sit down with Gary, the Gary V for 20, 25 yeah. minutes and ask him the question, like, and jam out with Gary. Like, yeah. heck yes. Totally. You know? Well, and I think it totally adds value for the people on the show too. I mean, for Gary, it's like it, it extends him to your audience mm-hmm. and like gives some credibility in a, in a younger Creative, demographic younger, that may not mm-hmm. be paying attention to what he's exactly. like, I just read his new book and realizing how long ago the old book was, he totally needs to keep bringing in new people. Yeah. And, uh, and, and that was something I'll say about that too, is, you know, he has blown up for sure, but he has a new book. And so I think podcasts are a really good way to be like, yo, you have a new book, you have a new series, like come do some promo on. So there's like totally a very am. easy value exchange, you know? So that was kind of the moment where, my podcast wasn't going to start for another month, but I was like, he just put out his new book. I like started texting my friends who work at Vayner. I'm like, how can we make this happen? I'll start my podcast early. Um, so it was really cool for him to be the first guest and just like saying YOLO. And can I, can I just laugh about something that nobody will be able to hear in the podcast that Sam Schiffer is apparently below us screaming yeah. at his Twitch channel yeah. every Fudge. few minutes. I wish it, I wish it would show yeah. up in the mic because it's hilarious, but I, I know. know it won't. I know. Um, but I mean, so that's a really cool thing is that you are, you're in New York and you're surrounded by like the building you're in has Casey Neistat, Sam, your very talented boyfriend mm-hmm. and all sorts of other creative folk around yeah. you. But you came from not that kind of town. Like h- how did you make that Texas. decision? Like that's, yeah. it's huge. And I mean, I like I'm in the Texas of Canada, so I can kind there of relate. But, I love um, that. The Texas of Canada. Yeah. I, I mean, I will say that the reason why I left Texas was it was, it was suburbia. You could only go so far in the creative world in yeah. Dallas, Texas. Um, if I was in Austin, maybe that'd be a different story. But in terms of video, it, you know, it wasn't cutting it that I moved to Nashville. And then I was like, if I don't want to make music videos for country stars, like I don't need to be in Nashville. So mm-hmm. I'm so interested in all of the creative worlds, though, and the business worlds and the energy of New York. And it just blends all of that so beautifully together. And Uh, I will say, though, in Texas that, you know, I was able to find a really cool creative community there. And I learned everything I know about video and creativity, honestly, from just like volunteering at my church. Um, So, you know, I was very involved in like a very massive mega church and Mm -hmm. great find Texas. Um, And the stuff that they would pull off every weekend in terms of like creative, like creativity it was insane to be in the backseat of that. And I had so many people around me. Like I just, when you're young, like if you're out there listening to this, you're in middle school and high school, you might not think you have time, but you have time. Well, like, that, that's one of my you favorite have time to volunteer. Gary Vaynerchuk videos is when he's yeah. going on about people graduating. Yeah. It's like, this is the, and so I was just talking about sometimes it's not necessarily worth it for people to jump too far and head over heels thinking they can have a social media career, but when you're at that age and you're just finishing high school, 
you do have a window there where like, if you really put the time in, time is your asset that I, I have a lot less of now, you know, mm-hmm. like that's my weakness is like, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm like tr- squeezed for time and trying yeah. to find time to do creative new and stuff. It's, yeah. But, and, and that's, so it's like a double-edged sword with the world we're living in in 2018. We have all these Instagram accounts and motivational accounts of Gary Vaynerchuk and fudging, like, uh, what's his name? The the guy who, uh, in my garage, books and oh, Lambos yeah. and, you know, ta- that guy. Ta- 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 Lambo. Ta- uh, <laughs> That's what I think of him as. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yes, um, ta- I can't believe I'm forgetting his name because I've actually been to go- his house. If you Google Ty Lambo, you'll find yeah, him. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, Oh my god, it's going to bother me so much. But, Wait, actually, but how did you end up in his house? Did I you go to his garage? An influencer party oh. at his like Beverly Hills home, and I will tell you, it's one of the worst experiences of my life. Oh my god, he's the worst. Anyways, <clears throat> we have this <laughs> image of like Lamborghinis and like being a social media star, and you can do it too, and blah blah. blah. So it's like young people, you know, me included, can have this inflated ego at such a young age when the best thing that you can do at a young age is to just go up to someone that you admire in terms of like video, photo, graphic design work that you want to achieve and just give them your time. Mm -hmm. Say, hey, you, oh man, like you need help. You're like on a big project interviewing people. Let me just like volunteer my time and cut up those interviews for you and give you, you know, like find something that they need offer your time and then you're going to be next to someone that you can just like occasionally ask questions to. And how I learned so quickly was I was surrounded by people that instead of like being on Google for an hour, I could ask them something and get the answer in 10 seconds. Well, and this is a moment that I have to give a shout out to Marco, who is doing that for me with this podcast. Thanks again for all the help. Yeah. Um, But yeah, I I mean, I, I, I wish I'd done all that when I was just starting out, but, um, I'd love to hear some things about how you actually get things done. Like when you're making videos, what are you shooting on lately? I think uh, a Sony is mm-hmm. what I've heard. So I've changed around quite a bit. You know, I used to be Canon. I started out on my dad's Canon T3i. I think the T3i was a lot of people's first camera. Um, so I started on the Canon T3i with a kit lens, upgraded to the Canon 70D with like the pancake 40 millimeter lens. And then in terms of like innovation and stuff, I think Canon really slowed down. And that's when I kind of hopped over to the Sony fam. I've, you know, been loving my Sony a7S II. You can get some great slow-mo. The camera that I started out on with vlogging was the RX100. RX100 Mark III. And then now I have the 5. Those are my favorite little cameras. So do you not turn around the a7 on yourself? Like do you not do vlogs? I do. So now I'm vlogging more with the a7S just because I'm at a point. It was funny. It it took me trying to vlog with the Panasonic GH5 to realize that the Sony a7S autofocus is fine. Um, Because, oh my God, the GH5 autofocus is just... after this podcast, there's going to be people tweeting me, oh, there's a <laughs> tutorial on how to fix. Like, no. Right. Yeah. No. I don't it want... is terrible. Well, and, and I still you don't have own to fight GH5. It, you know? Yeah. And I still have GH5s and I use them for what they're good at. They don't have a recording limit. So I use them for my podcast and I put it on manual focus and, and it's fine. But um, yeah, I've been, I love Sonys. I just yeah. got the A7 III this like week it? a lot. Yeah. This is it. This is like changing everything. Is there okay? So is the color science different? That's what people are talking about. That's, it is, yeah, okay. yeah. They've tweaked it. I was different. Um, okay, the big, the biggest things is that all the most important features about the higher end Sony's. So I was using the A7R two before, and the 
best stuff about that is now brought down to the $2,000 price point. So what's crazy is we suddenly have the, the base price of a professional, both for photography mm-hmm. and video. Because you have the dual mirrorless. SD card slot, which I know is a big deal for like Absolutely, wedding for photographers. And, uh, and-, and so now it also has the autofocus of the A9. So better Impressive. than the A7R3. Um, and what else? It, uh, it They fixed a lot of the handling stuff. Like with, You can with, touch autofocus, right? Yeah, it's not very good. It's not very good. I, do, I, I don't do the touch, but they have the joystick, joystick. on the back. Yeah. So that makes a big Dude, difference. Dude, I'm telling you, Sony, I don't know. They have so many lines of cameras. And, like, and they're not afraid to like, kill their old ones. Exactly. Yeah. But they're not afraid of the moment I have a flip screen on like a full frame A7S style camera that's when I will shout from the rooftops that Sony rules all. But right now I'm still like, you guys could almost have the perfect camera if you guys would just help us out with that flip screen. But I... I don't think it's coming to the A7S III. I, I wish it would. Like, that would... Oh my God, I would love that so much, but I just don't think it's coming. The rumors I heard from the Camera Store TV folks, now the DP Review folks, are that... Canon probably holds the patent for that. So no anybody way. else that doesn't is license, licensing it. Well, okay, basically somebody what about the GH5? somebody does own the patent. We don't know who, but uh, it seems like it's uh, my guess was Canon. Um, but so who anybody else that uses it is always licensing it, so it's always slightly <laughs> raising the cost of any camera that has it. So like That's interesting. Sony's not only avoiding it for usability reasons or manufacturing reasons. Yeah, it's basically yeah. the so it really may not come anytime soon, but because uh, some people will put the like focus mon the uh, small HD monitors on yeah, top. Yeah, but who wants that? That's so dumb. Like yeah. you, you want a mic on the top. You want a mic on the hot shoe, not okay, so a we'll, freaking small HD. Tell me more about your actual like how you, the process of doing stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, do you plan your shoots out ahead of time? Do you have yeah. a list of? Do you have a shot list? My YouTube, my short three to five year YouTube career is like broken down into very like specific times. So in the time period of daily vlogging. So I would say this was like a nine month period, maybe a year ago, um, over a year ago. It was a complete like shit show. I would just pick up a camera and I would try to be my artsy self and like prove my worth as a video person. But it mm. would never, I could, I didn't have time to do anything else because I was just so busy doing a stupid vlog five times a week. Um, and then I released a video that I was like, I don't like daily vlogging. And I confessed to the world that I don't like daily vlogging. And I'm sure everyone else is like, I don't care. Okay, do whatever <laughs> you want, Sarah. But like, yeah. it was such this moment of like, I'm free that after that, like the past, almost a year now has been really a cool moment of me like figuring out my voice on YouTube where I scaled back the uploads and it started out with, I'm going to post when I have a video. Um, and I really got back to the roots of just creativity and technology. And if I want to make a fancy little docu-series that's like 15 minutes an episode and it's like really good and it's something I'm proud of, but maybe it doesn't get as many views, I'm going to do it anyways, you know, because like that's what I love making, but I'm also going to make those iPhone reviews that get 100,000 views. And so once I kind of had peace with myself in terms of like two videos a week is good enough and you're going to play the YouTube game and like make those review videos, but you're going to have fun with it and but like still do your thing. um, That's when I came back to like a zone of 
preparing for things and like, okay, let's start out with a title of a video and a concept. How can I take a concept of a video that I want, a topic that I want to talk about, a something to review, and then how do I meet that up with a good YouTube title? And then I'm going to write out what I want to shoot and I'm going to collaborate with people. I'm going to go out and shoot. And so now I do have a process and it's like healthy. And I just did it this week. I was so overwhelmed by like, I started a new docu-series like on behind the scenes of starting a podcast. My channel is just meta as frick. And it's, it's overwhelming <laughs> That's okay. how meta it I've is. I've had podcasts about <laughs> making this podcast. There you go. So. There you go. You know, like meta is great. And I... I just couldn't get the episode done in time because I wasn't satisfied of it and I was stressing out about it. But then I was like, this is why I'm doing YouTube. I'm my own boss. So I'm going to post it next week instead of this week. So, you know, I have a process around things and I go out and I try to be intentional with what I'm shooting. But then at the same time, like, I do not kill myself if I only post one video a week or like I really want to be proud of most of the stuff that I put out. I can't be super stoked on everything because it's YouTube, guys. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, um, it's not Vimeo here. Come exactly. on. Exactly. <laughs> there's no staff picks on yeah, YouTube. Yeah. So, yeah, now there's, you know, a title comes first. Can we talk about titles for a second? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so, yeah, yeah. Wh- how do you, what's your, because t- we know as YouTubers, titles are insanely important. Everything. It's kind of more important than the, like, you could it just, not, you could not make a video. Title and, just and a release thumbnail titles, is yeah. everything. What, how do you approach that? Because, for me, a lot of the time I find that I'll, I'll come to it with a, a concept and a rough title. Then I'll shoot the video and realize like, oh, I didn't really make what I thought I titled it. I and then I'm always CCM. rewriting my title a hundred times mm-hmm. at the end. And then if a video crashes, I'm like, oh, I picked the wrong title. Yeah. And, so you never know. Yeah. Like that's the thing that sucks about it is you just never know. But when I was vlogging a lot, I would never think of the title and I would just like, look at the edit and be like, oh, what's something I can pull out of? Like, if you want to be a YouTuber or do YouTube, you can't do that. Like, title, you have to think of that first. And so you never really know, but it usually falls in two camps for me. Like, one is like, it's a tech review or it's going off of something that's popular right now. So it's going to be a very straightforward title where, you know, it's, it's searchable. Everyone's making an iPhone 10 video or something. And sometimes those will do really well. And sometimes they won't really do well because maybe it's too saturated. It's a a bit of a luck of the draw. Exactly. It's a bit of luck of the draw. And then I have like the other camp where maybe it's a more personal thing or you're going off of the grabby title that when people see the notification, they're going to click quick. And so with the, and within those two camps, it can go you know, one of two ways. So you basically have like a 25% chance of it being like, okay. And then you have a 5% chance of it being like good. (laughs) I had a crazy one that was, uh, it's, it's going to be my biggest video and it was something I did really quickly. Is it the Hasselblad thing? No, it's, uh, but that was a surprise too, because I didn't put that much time into it. I did one. The the title is, I can't believe it's a smartwatch and Uh, it's got a close up of that has like 900k views. I, I saw that the other day. Yeah. And, um, that was a very quick is video. Is it that? What watch it, is it? This is the same brand, okay. um, uh, but it's not the specific one. But They're not sponsored, so we can't say the name. <laughs> yeah, Corona Beat. No, hey, they, they, hey, they sponsored the, other things. No, okay, so yeah, okay. They, they, that, that was So that was a sort of sponsored video. Like The video wasn't sponsored, I bet they're happy. but we Goodness. were doing other sponsored stuff with okay. them. So it was like 
right? Yeah, we were working with them for sure. So yeah, that was another reason I was like, man, this is, you know, anytime it's sponsored, it's like, oh, are people going to hate that? Like it's yeah. tied to the brand. And even in the video, I'm like, it's not a review because I'm working with them. I'm just going to show you this thing. So I think it's pretty nice. I, I like them. Anyway, yeah, so it, it it took off like crazy. And the little bit of guilt in me, though, it's not the sponsorship. It's the, um, I know it's not a smartwatch. It's a hybrid watch. So right. it's always that clickbait line that I'm yeah. like, if you don't do a bit of clickbait, mm-hmm. you're giving up and a lot thing, of views. Like, but I want people to feel I'm, satisfied with what they yeah, watch. Yeah, I'm so exhausted by the word clickbait. Mm-hmm. It's just like, are you smart? <laughs> so clickbait is Jake Paul titling a mm-hmm. video donating to my favorite Twitch streamer, Ninja, and then not yeah, even not, mentioning in there. I heard Ninja that. in the video or even like that is clickbait, you know? But if you're, if you post a good video and you mention the thing and it's like part of the majority of the video, that's just you being smart and titling the video good, you know? Like people who are upset, like there will be times where, you know, people will complain in the comment section of like, Sarah, you're better than this clickbait stuff. Like, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, yo, this video got double the views like normal. You wouldn't <laughs> yeah, even you don't be know. here exactly. if you would the not title wasn't it. this. So, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know? Can you give me any really, or give anybody some really practical, usable advice? If you just shot your first YouTube video, maybe next time try doing this and it'll work a little better. What's a, what's a hard learned lesson that you might've gone through? So I would say, if you, the question was, if you shot your first YouTube video, is that what you said? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like if you're starting out, let's go with that route. Yeah. Like, you know, you shot your first video or whatever. Um, I would say that the most important thing that you can do and some practical advice is when you're starting out, shoot videos that you are just so insanely passionate about that you think is going to be your jam. So it doesn't matter what works on YouTube in the beginning. Yeah. Like it does not yeah. matter. You do not need to stress about all of that crap in the beginning because the most important part is when you you know when you bootstrap these like 500 subscribers you get for doing what you're passionate about and maybe something that's like unique so if your thing is like scripted 10 minute skits or 30 minute documentaries and it's not super sexy or what youtube wants but you're doing what you love and so that's what you can make good when you only have 500 subscribers, but that moment comes where someone shouts you out or maybe a popular blog picks up your stuff or something and then people come, they're going to come and see something unique on your channel and they have a reason to stay. And then once you have that bigger audience, then is when you can get more on a consistent schedule. You can kind of cater to the YouTube algorithm a little bit more and you can just play that middle ground. But I think it's so important in order to stand out, you have to do your thing and then make that unique in a way. I think some people look at YouTube and they're like, or the the internet in general, they're like, it's saturated. Like everybody's already got their their place and people are already popular and there's no room for me. But I mean, look at your videos in the past six months. Right. Yeah. Know? Well, yeah. Almost all of my followers are in the last six months, even mm-hmm. though I've had my account for years. None of the years before mattered. Yeah. And then it's look everything. at Peter McKinnon. Yeah. yeah Peter's look the best example. Mango Street. Totally. I yeah. Mean, Just out of nowhere. The a lot of people, especially the current YouTubers who've been in this for a while, get really bummed on the algorithm. And like, I'm going to be honest, the YouTube, you have to be a slave to the algorithm. Mm -hmm. Like you have to play the game and it sucks. But at the same time, the reason why new people are getting views, the reason why like new people on YouTube are rising up is because of the algorithm, because 
you know, it caters to topical things and shareable stuff and just things that people are watching that you don't have to be digesting or like, you know, like the old Lily Singh, just people who are have always been crushing it. If YouTube was just based on sub boxes and who you're subscribed to, we would have the same exact YouTubers that we were watching 10 years ago. I kind of want to do a video about the algorithm from my experience. So uh, my my first job was at iStock Photo, which was a big photo selling no way. website. Yeah, yeah. Peter and was so- just telling me about how he like, started his living on oh, selling photos on iStock. Crazy. Yeah. yeah. Well, I should talk to him if he comes back in you the room. You guys need a cover. Yeah. But yeah. So I, I was a designer because it was in Calgary. I started mm-hmm. photos starting in Calgary and uh, I was like a designer straight out of college there. And so I was employee like number 30-ish. And so I didn't do the algorithm f- for them, but it's basically the same algorithm for any site that is pushing content forward. And in, in iStock, it can make and break you or make or break you. I mean, uh, I had a photo that got pushed to the front of search results for happy, smiling woman. And that photo sold a lot and, and like made me actual money. Like it really counted and it stayed at the top for a while because the algorithm would favor things that were already popular. And so every time somebody searched for that, if people ended up buying it, it kept getting boosted up. And that means things would get stuck at the top. And I know people get frustrated with the algorithm on YouTube, on Instagram, all these places, but something has to go to the front. And I can see that both Instagram and YouTube are making a real effort to expose new content, to make things fresh for the viewer, things that people are going to be interested in. And that's why they're still around. Yeah. And I know no one wants to hear that. And like, again, I am someone who has seen the bad side of the algorithm, but I've like also seen the good side. And being a you know bunny ears youtuber it could be is the most stressful thing ever <laughs> um but like you have to be okay with playing the game and acknowledge like you can't just be complaining on twitter every day about the algorithm and that your channel is dead um it, because it, it you just that's the reason why we still have youtube that's why youtube is has an audience we would be nothing if there weren't people on the platform to start out with. So yeah, for sure. And in the end, like there's people that are going to keep coming back to you because they like you and they know you and they're going to, like, you know, do it for them. Yeah, exactly. And you know, like we're, we're living in 2018. There's so many cool, there's so much cool stuff out there. You know, if my YouTube channel is dead tomorrow, like I'd figure it out. It, it's fine. We're all fine. One other thing I wanted to give you credit for is your video with Marquez, mm, where you. you talked about premiere and final cut. That was a really big moment of me switching back to Final Cut. So no way. I, yeah, I grew up on Final Cut after using 10 I'm sorry, for a while. Adobe friends. Out. I'm sorry. Yeah, no. I, so I, I'm never going <laughs> to give up my creative suite, use everything else in it. Good, yeah. um, but the speed of Final mm-hmm. Cut is crazy. So I was it's wondering crazy. anyway, which yeah. you're using now. I don't yeah. Know. So I am like Adobe to my core. So I acknowledge the realities mm-hmm. <laughs> that like Final Cut, if you are a Mac user, so much faster. Like it's like, a PC. So I do that? have a PC. Okay. Yeah. So um whenever I'm doing like really heavy premiere edits or it all comes down to the exporting. So it's funny. I made a, a video recently that it was my Mac my MacBook Pro, 2017 MacBook Pro versus my PC, my desktop PC. And it's so funny because people were like, This is so stupid. Why would you compare like a laptop to a PC? Of course the PC is gonna be. But the point of that that maybe I didn't drive home as much was it was a desktop versus a laptop where 
Yes, the desktop is going to be faster, but Premiere is better on PCs, hands down. But the majority of it is the fact that the export time is insanely fast. So on my MacBook, I found that Premiere handled the 4K footage like with editing and rendering and stuff almost the same way that my PC did with just the, you know, making cuts, throwing color grades on top of it, pressing play with 4K footage with like two layers of color grade and stuff. Um, But where it really struggled was the export time. And like my whole point was I'm a very mobile person. There's not much difference with this like $3,000 laptop compared to like my $3,000 PC and it's mobile and you have that advantage to it. So this is why like still the laptop and my editor of choice, Premiere, which I love Premiere, just getting around it better than Final Cut. Um, And so kind of the point of that video was to show that, yes, PC wins, export time is so much faster. But in terms of usability, the difference in speed with Premiere wasn't that much better on the PC. And it's like it was kind of to prove that if you – are better editing in a layout like Premiere, just use what you're comfortable yeah, with. Yeah, for sure. And then go grab a freaking cup of coffee or <laughs> answer your email while it's yeah. exporting 20 minutes longer than on a PC. Well, you and know? it's so about just choosing based on what what it is you're doing. I mean, yeah. for me, the switch had to happen and what because- what you like. Yeah, well, I ended up editing on the road a lot, which I, I kind of didn't realize was going to happen when I bought my laptop. So I bought a relatively cheap Mac, MacBook and have like a powerful iMac at home. Turns out I'm editing on the road all the time. Yeah. So uh, the advantages of Final Cut Pro sh- shine through a lot more on an underpowered laptop. Totally. So that's that was my reason for switching. But it totally is a thing of like, use what feels right. So. Exactly. And I, I might get crap for saying this, but like, don't let the internet bully you into <laughs> like using a PC. So Do they? Is that like a, is oh that a thing? Yes. Oh, I, if you, I haven't had so, that yet. You know, if you make YouTube videos or your, if you make review videos, have you not gotten crap about Apple? And so stuff? I'll get stuff occasionally for like, yeah. So a lot of the time, if I do a video about Apple, I don't get any crap about it because everybody knows why they're there. But then I did that watch video and I'm, I have an iPhone 10 in it, and people are like, I, I was enjoying this video until the iPhone 10 showed up, yeah. idiot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As a person who's done videos on like Samsung phones, Apple phone, like, as a person who does reviews, I enjoy seeing what's out there and the other options, and especially when it comes to the camera on phones and stuff. So I have a very mixed audience at times. Mm-hmm. And and the comment, like people who are PC users and Android users, like bully people into like, you were so stupid and using yeah. Apple products. And like, I'm just here to say, like, if you like Apple products and it goes with your workflow, Use it. If you're totally, an Android yeah. user and you like PCs, dude, that's great. High five. I have a PC. Like, use it. But, like, don't bully people for their choices no, of machines it and is phones. Crazy. Yeah. I'm like, It's the why? same in camera forums. It's the same everywhere. Yeah. People are just weird about but I will tell video you, games. People are really? nuts. Is that a thing? Like, yeah. consoles. It doesn't seem as bad. Like, Canon versus Sony. Like, I played to that a lot just because I, I was a user of both. But it seems to be the worst with the app like iphone versus samsung or android mm-hmm. and then pc versus mac it's yeah, yeah they, get, they get offended at the price or something i don't know what it is but sarah i super appreciate it let's plug everything yes. you have i mean creative exchange yeah. is your podcast yeah so creative exchange my podcast i interview um next level next level 
<laughs> next little it's been a long day guys uh next level creators and entrepreneurs you know gary vaynerchuk was my first guest but then i've interviewed austin evans and jonathan morrison who are cool tech youtubers um akila who hughes who's a really talented um youtuber as well but people who like who've created bicycle helmet companies you know so it's 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 been a lot of fun i super appreciate it thanks mm-hmm.